What's up, bitches? I'm Gaia. And I'm Nitha. And this is Bitch Why. Our podcast where we talk about all the things we like and dislike and why anyone would make them. Let us start with some things we are snacking on. So snacks are anything that we consume throughout the week. Book, movie, TV show, podcast, video game, or anything that's giving us food artistically. Nitha, tell me what you snacked on this week. I am snacking on Lady Gaga's new album, Chromatica. Um, I'm, I love it. I think it's like, it, in, it truly encompasses all of the things we talk about. I think when we talked about that handwriting conversation, this is calligraphy. And I can feel like from her baby handwriting from like the fame monster, like everything, every album she's had so far has like led up to this moment. Yeah, I feel like it's perfect. Like, it's just perfect. I can, I can hear all of the elements from all of her old stuff. Like, she got to this moment because of everything that came before she's amazing i love lady gaga and i'm so sad that we can't like be out because you know all the gay clubs would be playing right on me um and i'm so sad i can't so i i just have to dance to it in my room but it's great and i love it and and correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think lady gaga's ever been problematic no. Uh, no. She's been talking a lot about recently about how COVID disproportionately affects, she's like, disproportionately affects like non-wealthy people, people of color, because a lot of like the celebrity messaging has been like, we're all in this together, <laughs> um, which is like bullshit, obviously. In terms of, I mean, this is just from my own experience, I've always felt like she was a pretty good representative of like the queer community she's always like championed uh for us and then also just as like a bisexual woman she's always been like always been like yeah that makes sense yeah it's helpful for me to know because i too am a bisexual woman um yeah i love her legendary yeah i love chromatica i think it's great and it's the only thing that's that's getting me through this week What are you snacking on, Gaia? I'm glad you asked. Uh, I've been doing, (laughs) I've been doing a lot of uh, manual labor this weekend. Um, I like, like me and my family have been reflooring our house like by ourselves. Um, So, so I spent the entire day yesterday um, putting in floorboards and listening to the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo on audiobook. Yes, that's the book that you told me to read. I think you should read it. I think everyone should read it. It's quite sexy. I haven't gotten to the end yet. Uh, There's a lot of like lead women of color in it and queer women in it and just queer people in it, which they didn't have to do because it's like takes place in like the 40s most of the time. I like the way it's written. It's got a lot of intrigue and mystery and seems to like deal with fame in an interesting way. We'll definitely do some sort of podcast about fame and how I feel about fame because mm. I have so many thoughts and opinions. This book deals with it a lot in an interesting way. Bisexual lead. Everyone should read it. It's that been a great time. so sexy. Like that sounds so good and it sounds like it'll pass our bitch meter. Oh this thing would slay the bitch meter. It would break the bitch meter. It would literally break the bitch meter. The bitch meter's not ready. The bitch meter could not handle <laughs> this book. 
should we should we get into it let's get into it uh all right you want to give us a roadmap first i will i will give us the roadmap uh for our episode so this episode is made up of four parts bitch what an introduction to what we're talking about bitch how a technical rundown of how this thing succeed succeeds and fails as a piece of art bitch time three minutes of our unintelligent unfiltered uncritical feelings and finally bitch why a sum up of the implications and why all of this matters We're also each allowed one Joanne, since this is a continuation of our Harry Potter series. We're each allowed to call her Joanne once. We get it one time. No excessive Joanning. Um, I know I did that last time. That was my fault. Yeah, seriously, slap on the wrist. Uh, This is the so this is the second part of our our three parter on Harry Potter. Not to say like we won't do more Harry Potter in the future, but um, hopefully not. If J.K. Rowling stopped, then we'd never have to talk about it again. Um, Wouldn't that be such a blessing? That'd be so thrilling. At the at the midway point in the backwards train wreck of J.K. Rowling's career, and uh, time for bitch what? So bitch what's the section where we just we just go down what we're gonna talk about today? How did we first come across these two things? Okay, so we're talking about cursed child, and then also. A very Potter musical. So those are our two topics. The two most prominent stage adaptations. Cursed Child, when did it come out specifically? It came out... Cursed Child premiered on West End July 30th, 2016. And Fantastic Beasts, which we talked about last episode, premiered uh, sometime in November 2016. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I remember those being like far apart from each other. Well, Cameron, um, our producer, just confirmed that it premiered and was published on released. the 31st. So I have a poor sense of time. So Cursed Child started, came out in like 2016. And then I don't know when I became aware of Harry Potter musical. Oh, I must have been, I must, I think it was freshman year of high school. So it must have been like 2012. It came out in 2009. It must have been some point in high school. But it is, like, one of my favorite pieces of media. Yeah, my friends and I were all obsessed with Starkid. Like, it was a thing. I mean, I'm still kind of obsessed with Starkid. Oh, yeah, and, like, rewatching it, I was like, oh, I remember how much I love this. Um, I'm like, because I was kind of like, I don't know why I was. I think I just, like, have ADHD. But um, I was, like, putting <laughs> off watching this because I was like, tired and like I have a bunch of things that I should do and I was like eh. but then I was re-watching it and I was like why on earth am I not watching this every day of my life it's I incredible comple- no I completely agree I think that this is this is just a symptom of of like being at home and like stuck in quarantine is like I feel like me and all my friends and I think you're doing this too you're my friend oh my god we're all like we're we're friends (laughs) we're friends I feel like everyone is reverting back to their younger selves so I've been like re-watching Harry Potter and re-watching Twilight um and re-watching Harry Potter musical and all of the star kid stuff and it just like is making me feel for the serotonin it is for the serotonin. It, it's, like, really the only thing that's, like, making me feel good. Uh, so it makes sense. The only good thing left in this timeline is the Harry Potter trilogy. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing that's going to be good that we get to talk about in this episode. Because we're also talking about Cursed Child. Yeah! 
Tell me um, what, what is Cursed Child, Nita? Okay, so in Bitch What, I'm going to give you a rundown of Cursed Child. I did not write this synopsis. Gaia did, but it's going to be fun to watch me read it. Um, I'm so excited. This is our best shot at the Spark Notes version of this beast. So Cursed Child, written by Jack Thorne and John Tiffany. And then I guess they kind of, J.K. Rowling kind of helped. Whatever. So from what I understand, Jack Thorne did the like typity typing. And Jack like, Thorne wrote the Jack words. Thorne had the typewriter, and everyone else was yelling at him what to do. And that's so, why it's like this. And that's why it's bad. Okay, so Cursed Child premiered on the West End on July thirtieth, two thousand sixteen, and it was on Broadway in two thousand eighteen. And it takes place over two nights, mostly because they want to make more money off of you, uh, so you can go see it uh, for f- two hours longer than this thing needs to be. Um, it's critically successful. It won a ton of Tonys, including Best Play. Um, it won some Drama Desk Awards, uh, Critics Circle Awards, um, Evening Standard Theater Awards, Laurence Olivier Awards, and it was nominated for a Grammy. In 2020. Um, in 2020. That's because of the Imogen Heap yeah. soundtrack. Yeah. Which is actually, like, kind of good. Um, I haven't heard it. I liked it. Except for um, when I saw it. <laughs> the Wikipedia page says that it was a fan success. Uh, which I do not agree with. Uh, that is whack. Um, <laughs> highly recommend if you want to truly understand our commentary on this. Please hit up the Wikipedia page uh, and get a real summary because uh, we don't. I can't. I can't do this. This is too much shit. Uh, and ju- or just you know like read the thing for yourself if you would like a migraine for a week. But it is two nights of theater, and this is not a synopsis podcast. It's a commentary podcast. Okay, here we go. Best, this is our best shot. We're going to do it. Okay, this is the sequel to the original series, Harry Potter. Um, it picks up where the epilogue leaves us with Harry's middle son, Albus Severus. Who let him? Ginny, help, where help was name she? your children. Albus Severus, uh, because those are the names Harry wanted, I guess. Uh, they go off to Hogwarts. We see them at platform nine and three quarters. Harry is a big, bad wizard cop, as we said in the last episode. Ah, cap. Um, Hermione is wizard president. Uh, she's the minister of magic. And Ron is just some guy, because uh, nobody cares what he's doing in this, in this plot. The opening scene is nearly a direct transcription of the dialogue of book seven. Because, like, why would we reinvent the wheel anyway, I guess? Um, Albus doesn't want to be sorted into Slytherin. And Harry's like, don't worry about it. You just gotta ask the hat. And the hat will just be like, boom, Gryffindor. And then he's like, okay, cool, Dad. Thanks so much for your help. Uh, you're such a helpful father. As, uh, it, we see even more of his helpful fatherness in the rest of this series. They go off to Hogwarts. He gets sorted into Slytherin. Big surprise. Um, his whole life just falls to shit. Um, but he becomes best friends with Draco's son, Scorpius. There is a time lapse because nothing eventful happened in, like, the first few years of his, uh, life at Hogwarts. And then, um, we just kind of see that he is a family disappointment. Um, we then flash to Harry Potter, who has recently found the last surviving Time Turner in some sort of wizard cop raid thing. No, we will not talk about the politics of how he got it. Um, <laughs> um, for some reason, Cedric Diggory's dad is on Harry's case about going back in time to save his son from dying in the Triwizard Tournament, even though, like, none of these people have seen Back to the Future and, like, don't know that time travel would change everything. Later on, after a big I hate you fight with Albus, uh, 
Harry Potter wakes up in a cold sweat with a scar hurting, and then his wife, Ginny, just sits there and, you know, uh, reassures him that everything's fine. She does nothing else except reassures this entire play. There's an unmistakable realization that Voldemort is probably back because the only time his scar is hurty is when Voldy is back. Uh, when Albus heads back to Hogwarts, he learns from his cousin Rose that his dad has a time turner, so he asks Scorpius, Scorpius to go back in time with him to save Cedric Diggory. They enlist the help of Amos Diggory's niece she's 27 um delphi to quest with them also there's a weird romance subplot i don't like that anyway act one is not even over yet the play breaks a breaks into two camps we have the teens on an adventure and then we have the grown-ups who are being boring the grown-ups are looking for their kids the kids are doing timeline fuckery no one saw back to the future or any other time travel movie to be fair okay well if they have bathrooms they also have DVD players. Um, and that's on period. <laughs> and that's on period. Um, they managed to save Cedric, um, but this obviously fucks up the actual timeline. So then they go back in time to fix it, and then back in time to fix the fuckery of that fix, and then back in time. Anyway, they managed to patch up all the timeline business, and just as they're about to, like, destroy the time turner, Delphi is Voldemort's daughter. That's the big reveal. How boring. Um, she kidnaps them and traps them in the past and then goes off to make sure that her dad, it never gets killed. And then the boys manage to get Harry Potter and his, the old friends, a message. And then they swoop in to the rescue. I don't know. Like, did it become interstellar? I don't know. Anyway, then they thwart Voldemort's plans. Harry witnesses the death of his parents once again because his trauma from all seven books before, like, wasn't enough already. And then he reconciles with Albus. And that's the play. That's the play. That's the play. Excellent and that one, job. And that won a Tony. It did. It won best oh, play. You know what? There's not one that could have been better than this. A Doll's House Part 2 by Lucas Nath. But that's a revival. What? Well, I don't know. It maybe was a revival, but maybe that's around a when revival. A Doll's House Part 2 came out. Great, 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 great. Cool, cool, cool. Amazing. That's um, Cursed Child. How about you give us the plot to the better fanfiction, Very Potter Musical? Why, thank you very much, I will. So, um, A Very Potter Musical came out in 2009 with music and lyrics by Darren Chris and AJ Hol- Holmes. Holmes? AJ Holmes. Holmes? And a book by Matt Lang, Nick Lang, and Brian Holden. It was produced by Starkid Productions at the University of Michigan. Um, it's a parody slash mishmash of the first, fourth, and seventh Harry Potter books, although it purports to take place in Harry's second year, which I only know because <laughs> there's a moment when one of the Death Eaters is like, Harry, you're such a baby. And Harry's like, I'm not a baby. I'm 12. <laughs> um and he's always like i'm just a kid i'm just a kid literally every single every single moment in this play even like the throwaways are like moments but basically uh it it takes place in harry's second year at hogwarts although it kind of like has a fake system like they they they're going more by like an american high school or college like year system than by a like by the Hogwarts, like, years one through seven system. So, like, they refer to Ginny as a freshman. So it takes place in their, like, second year. There's a House Cup tournament, which is a spoof on the Triwizard Tournament. And Harry, Cho Chang, 
Draco Malfoy and Cedric Diggory are competing for fame and glory, which Harry already has. Um, they fight a dragon. There is a dance. During the dance, a portkey that is the ladle in the punch uh, takes Harry and Cedric Diggory to the graveyard and the, the graveyard scene from the fourth book where Voldemort comes back takes place except for instead of it being Voldemort like coming back from like vague place that doesn't really exist or make sense he comes back he like gets separated from Quirrell because Quirrell and Voldemort are like a central part the the rest of the play is Voldemort trying to take over Hogwarts and Harry and friends trying to stop him all while Voldemort's having this kind of midlife crisis-esque crisis about how he's not sure if he's evil anymore because he's in love with Quirrell. <laughs> the gay love story is on point. The gay love story we deserve. Um, How was that? Was that very Potter musical? That was perfect. Honestly, perfect. I took so long with the cursed child. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing about a very Potter musical. Like, we went back and forth about whether or not it was even worth summarizing because mm-hmm. even though it's, like, one of our, like, central things in this episode, the the synopsis, like, it's so many references and spoofs and gags, like, woven together that it's almost, like, the plot itself doesn't really have anything to do with what's going on because what's going on is more like like a love letter to the books. Yeah, it's like also it's like satire. I feel like we'd have to like explain all the jokes to like explain yeah, the plot and like go watch it. It's great. Oh my god, go watch it. It's on YouTube, the whole thing. Um pa- pause this episode. So <laughs> go yeah, watch what, it and why then haven't come you back. watched a very Potter musical yet? Yeah, this is not a synopsis podcast. This is a commentary podcast. Go listen um, to it. Go watch go it. Go listen to it. All the songs are bangers. It's perfect. We'll get to Um, it. Not that we're biased or anything. Um, We're like really like, we're like coming into this episode and we're like, we're talking about a good play and a bad play. And the bad play is Cursed Child (laughs) and the good play is a very Potter musical, which like really like fucks our credibility as critics. I think it doesn't because we're going to talk, we're going to have a larger conversation kind of in the same vein as the conversation we had last week regarding fan fiction and Pottermore and J.K. Rowling's role in all of this, too. Unfortunately, everything goes back to J.K. Rowling. But we, but we will talk about everything, and I think that all of the research makes us credible. All roads lead to Joanne. That was my Joanne. That was yours. I will not say the name, because I cannot until um, we get there. Fear of the name increases fear of the thing itself. <laughs> She's Voldemort. No. Do you think if we said if we said her name more than once, she would manifest in our house? (laughs) Okay, let's talk about how we think these things succeed or fail. Bitch, what? Bitch, how? So this is where we talk about how the art in question succeeds or fails as a thing how do we think cursed child fares in this category okay so so (laughs) i guess like an important preface is that i i've seen it live uh i was really fortunate uh we normally live in new york so being able to see broadway shows is more accessible to us than it is for People who don't live in New York and our school, sometimes we go to theater school, so we get tickets and stuff. Sometimes we go to theater school. 
Sometimes we go to theater school. Sometimes we go to Zoom University. That's like one thing. I've seen it live. Nita hasn't. But the other thing is, is this is actually like totally our wheelhouse. We spend like, we write plays. Both of us have written plays. Multiple yeah. plays. Many, many plays. Oh um, and we spend like a lot of our time criticizing plays. So I would say the biggest way in which it fails, like on a huge thematic note, is that I don't think it's a Harry Potter story correct the book like the way it's written because i've only ever read it i've not seen it um it's got the same font as the harry potter books it's it literally it's telling you hey this is the eighth book and that's what it's trying to tell you but at its heart like harry potter is a mystery story like they're all mysteries and and like following Harry, Ron, and Hermione on the mystery as they unravel it, and then they get to like the climax where they defeat like a big bad or a small bad. Like that's what it is. This does not follow that formula at all. Um, it's it's a time travel story disguised as a Harry Potter story, whereas like Harry Potter is a mystery story disguised as a fantasy story. And, and I think that's where that's where it fails yeah and and also like there's nothing wrong with a formula break like i don't i don't think it's just the formula break i I think it doesn't have the heart of the harry potter stories like i think one of the things that's great about harry potter is that it's such a huge like piece of media and so when you when you read the first book you read it it's it in its simplest form and when you read the last book you read it in its most complex form and you're kind of living and growing with harry the entire way Um, and this book, the characters just don't have time to really, like, why isn't J.K. Rowling, like, if she wants more Harry Potter money, why doesn't she just write more books? That's the thing is, like, is, is J.K. Rowling really succeeds at writing prose and writing the emotional life of a character, but those are things that the actor chooses in a play. And so, like, she can't control that, and she, like, She's fine at writing dialogue, but this is not even her dialogue. And you can't, like, throw prose into the stage direction. Like, that's all of the things that she is good at, like, world building. I feel like the world building is also not so great here. Um, because in the time travel fuckery, you just have us, like, revisiting characters for no, like, old characters for no reason. They don't really have anything to, to add to the story that's happening. All of the things that she is good at, she doesn't, she's not able to showcase here. I can almost, like, see them all in a room together, um, thinking that, like, this is the way to, like, I could see them imagining that this is the most successful version of this story, because actually, like, it's kind of them being like, oh, all the things that fans wanted to happen that didn't happen, this is the book where they did happen. And, but, like, it's because all the timelines are splintered. So I could see them, like, I could see in a marketing room this going over really well. Whereas... I never, I never asked for Ron to marry Padma Patel. And have a son. Named Panju. Which, I, I am, I am Indian. Uh, Panju's not a name. That's just not an Indian name. It's not. Uh, it doesn't exist. My mother's name is Manju, and that's a real Indian name. Uh, and I just, when I read that, I don't, I can't even, <laughs> I can't even, like, explain the feelings that I had. I feel like um, that would be, like, if someone named, like, a white character instead of John, like, Jorn. Jorn. Yeah, exactly. Or Cho Chang. 
which are two <laughs> those are korean last names um and cho is supposed to be scottish also and chinese um so that's my other thing just like with with jk rowling like if you're gonna fix, like, if you're gonna right the wrongs, or like, you know, re like adapt your your plot idea into a play instead of a movie or a book, and you've seen like all of the issues people have brought up, like, why not correct them? Why not use Google? I have an Indian baby book she can borrow today. You call know? her. Let's call J.K. Let's call. Let's get her on the phone. Um, J.K. We have a baby book for you. <laughs> I have a baby book for you. It's how I was named, and I will give it to you. There's a really cool section of fan fan lore um, that Harry Potter is Indian, and that Potter is an yeah. Anglicization of an Indian last name. Yeah, he, he could be Indian. He could be Arab. He could be like yeah. There's a ton of and his like really thick black messy hair. And like Case in point. I think I always thought um that like the way the Dursleys hated him so much, I think would work really well if he was brown or black. <gasps> um wow. because yeah. their like derision towards him like speaks of racism. But it it's does. like the weird JK Rowling, like she imagines a world in which people like violently hate wizards. Yeah, she just like took she said wizard racism. But real racism doesn't exist anymore. The racism is the the racism is in her heart. The racism is in the friends we made along the way. <laughs> and I also feel like if Hermione was black, which she is in Cursed Child, which is like the one thing that I think that's like a really shining. Well, I didn't think it was a shining thing. Then Guy convinced me that I sold was. you on it. Should we talk about that now? We can talk. Wanna... Yes, we can talk about it. But I also think that that works with like Draco being awful to her Hermione. That's another, like, idea that could have been uh, utilized, but it never was. Anyway, so I I actually didn't think that Hermione being changed was, was interesting because I just thought that it was um, retroactively adding diversity. Um, so what I yeah. said, my, like, co- kind of, like contrast to this was maybe like i think that like by making by saying that her i think this was like where jk rowling was still kind of doing the right thing when a lot of fans were coming out and being like you know i'm black i've always thought hermione was black um i'm not black um that was as a hypothetical person um but as a lot of fans were saying that jk rowling tweeted she was like you know what hermione could totally be black and in her stage adaptation she walked that walk like, we, yeah. we actually, we haven't talked about the three prongs of, of diversity yet. <gasps> Please um, talk about your three prongs of diversity. This is, like, my, my, my diversity trident. Um, if you think of, like, another, like, prong, then it can become a diversity fork. I'll, I'm happy to add anything. But I think the, the, like, three prongs of diversity are, um, the first being it gives jobs to people who aren't tradition, who are traditionally marginalized. So, like, you give black actors who don't normally get jobs money you give like asian actors who don't normally get jobs money i think that's one prong of diversity i think the second one is telling stories that aren't normally told so bringing bringing those to light bringing those to a public audience and i think the third prong is showing bodies that aren't typically shown and i think casting hermione as a dark-skinned black woman that is walking the walk of showing black bodies on stage showing 
black bodies as Hermione Granger. I think Hermione Granger is a particularly subversive role for black women um, because she's smart and articulate and political. And and I don't think black women get that rep because even though that's what black women are. Yeah. And so that that's my thoughts on black Hermione. I think that's one of the like successes of Cursed Child. Yeah, and I think I was so stuck on the other instances of her not walking the walk, but saying something is real, like saying Dumbledore is gay, but then kind of like taking it back in a sense when the movies are, when the Fantastic Beast series is coming out and everyone's asking like, are we going to see, are we going to see Dumbledore just like living his life and being gay? And she was like, no, actually it's not going to be seen at all. And I was like, then what's the point of telling us that he's gay if you're just like never going to reference it ever again? Like that feels like retroactively adding diversity and then not walking the walk. And I think I just had so much residual anger that I was or like, Or also no. like- the Nagini thing, which is technically walking the walk, but in such an offensive way. Yeah. The, you know, probably the reason it works so well is because J.K. Rowling did likely envision Hermione as a white girl, and she wrote her as a white girl with all the respect she would write a white girl with. And then when she put a black person in that role, it's as if she gave respect to a black person, although she would never do that. You know, Sigourney Weaver uh, was not, like, originally an alien, uh, the part of Ripley was supposed to be played by a man and then they saw Sigourney Weaver and I think she was reading for some other character and then I think someone on the casting uh behind the casting table was like yeah you know what couldn't Ripley not be a dude and then and then they were like yeah and then Sigourney Weaver got to play Ripley and it's a like Ripley is a really well-rounded really cool character and so I think the way for people like who are not uh the the way for people who are white and male to write characters who are not white or male is just to write a character that they would want to play or like understand and then just cast a person of color or a woman in it. I mean that that tends to be my approach in writing is mm-hmm. like and this is kind of a separate conversation but like my approach in writing tends to be I just write characters and then I note in my in my notes that um the that there has to be a certain amount of people of color in this play like this yeah. play sh- this play should never be more than half white. That's one of my, like, and and honestly, like, people of color who are listening, if you can think of a better way, like, or a more articulate way to say this, because I think there's also a problem with, like... Colorblind um, casting. Colorblind casting. But I think, like, as as a white writer, like, I, I can't write the stories of people of color, so I think the next best thing I can do is just make sure people of color get cast in the stories I write. Yeah. I think, well, what I do, because I specifically... uh. I often write stories about Indian women and and Indian queer people. So then it's, and the stories are inherently Indian. So then Indian people have to be cast. Um, But that's just kind of what I do. I think like the Nagini thing and Dumbledore are in a different world than than Hermione being cast um, with a black actress. And also, so I think that does hit your, your trident because... I've never seen that actress before, which is amazing. She gets a job. She gets a job. She's on stage and we see her represented. I don't know if it's like telling necessarily. But it doesn't have to yeah. hit all prongs of no. diversity. Like it I does think not. having like a black body as Hermione and knowing that like black girls are going to go see this and they're going to see Hermione being a black body. That's like badass. That is badass. And like. Not Hermione. Not JK Rowling being badass. That, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Technically, she didn't even write this. 
technically she didn't even cast this. No. So none of this is on her. She did none of this. I have one more success for you it. Have one and more then success. that's it. Um, which is actually just for the stage version and not for the book. But um one of the amazing things about the stage version is um it they really incorporate magic in an amazing way. Like, Mm -hmm. and I think the reason it's great on stage and, like, wouldn't have been as great as a movie um, is because the kind of magic you see them doing on stage um, looks like it should be impossible and is the kind of shit that your brain, like, even, like, though you know it's all illusions, like, it's all just, like, stage magic, your brain has to catch up with it. It feels incredible. It feels expansive. It's exciting. It's well-directed. Um, and they clearly invested all of their dramaturgical money into um, finding magicians. And not into the name Punju. And not into the name Punju. <laughs> I or, think um, I think Or trying brains... to make their plot make sense. Oh, exactly. Truly. I feel like our brains are so desensitized to seeing special effects in movies that to see it on stage is still really exciting. So no, that's it's like breathtaking. Yeah. Like in like the literal sense of the word breathtaking where you watch it and you're like <gasps> That's one of the only things that I'm like, yeah, okay. Like I I get it. Um but as a play, it's like bad. Like reading it, it as a play, bad. if someone gave me this, like if we read this in our playwriting class, this is what I would say, not knowing anything about Harry Potter, just like pretend for a second I lived under a rock and someone gave me this play. I would be like, the scenes don't have consequences. The characters don't leave each scene different than how they came in. Um, there are no lingering effects. There's no, there's no, like, the villain, Delphi, that's how you say it, yeah. Delphi is, like, not interesting because, like, it's cool that there's a female villain, but she is living in the shadow of Voldemort, and I think if they're gonna try and, like, do another villain, it's they're always gonna live in the shadow of Voldemort no matter what, because he was such a, like, big bad. I think to to make her the daughter of him is, like, a disservice to that character and to her motivation and to everything she stands for. And also, like, why can't women, why can't a female villain live outside? Women deserve to commit genocide by themselves. Well, I also think it's it's important to show that villains, people can rise up in this world outside of the orbit of Voldemort. That's um, like a general problem with her more recent work is that it like she really she like I think she feels really comfortable in writing like the wizard Hitler archetype. Right. But like, am I supposed to believe that the only two people who have ever risen up in the wizarding world are Grindelwald and Voldemort? Like, that's so insane because in our normal world, there are people trying to do this all the time. I think it would be way more interesting. Interesting is a dumb word, but I think it would be way more radical if she had a completely different outlook, if she was trying to do something like something totally different. But then, you know what, it would change, like, even needing to go back in time. It would be interesting, like, this is, like, far beyond J.K. Rowling's, like, scope of thought, but, like, to imagine, like, what intersectionality would look like in a wizarding context, like, how do things, like, so the only, the only real access we know of oppression in the wizarding world is blood purity, but, like, are there other axes? Like, I can't imagine there aren't 
given like like is like what if like your wand type which is like something that's like inherent <laughs> to you is like really or like exploring speciesism which jk rowling like alludes to throughout her stories like oh hagrid often comes from like visiting creatures and is like they are having an uprising and then we never hear about it again so like why but like why aren't why aren't we ever examining like those axes of like of oppression in like the like i i don't know it's it's like dumb to talk about jake talk about harry potter in like such terms like it's not that deep but i just wish it was but isn't it though i feel like since we grew up with harry potter and it's become such a staple of pop culture all around the world basically and like also the the time we're living in right now to be politically and socially conscious of of like how these things have shaped us shouldn't we ask the same questions we're asking about our world for the like fantasy worlds that we've built i mean like to think of like kind of a weird comparison like i think the hunger games does a really good job Mm -hmm. of exploring intersectionality i mean okay like final like technical issues with cursed child i think it suffers from epilogue problem which is like the challenge of jk rowling didn't change her characters enough in the epilogue like because it's an epilogue and so you wouldn't like get to see that character development but like the characters aren't like significantly different in an interesting way um beyond being like kind of boringer maybe this is just my residual frustration at the epilogue for being kind of like a a lackluster ending to like a gorgeous series well and also like i said this earlier but like it breaks the promise of the last line of Mm. the book and i didn't even have to google it but i wrote it down anyway the scar had not pained harry in 19 years all was well and then immediately if this book takes place immediately when that's done she has broken that promise and like that just feels like what did we go through seven books eight movies for to just have it all broken like harry did all of that work and like we went through all of that with them and then you've told like you closed the book and you said we're done like we did it everything's good you've grown up with these characters now you get to go like live your life and then she like breaks the promise which and not just that feels like bad like like i also like even worse than i think breaking the promise i think she also like if she broke the promise and it was like some radical like anti house elf group oh, that yeah. was like house elves have too many rights or something um but the fact that it's voldemort is back yeah like voldemort's dead well, that's all. That's how she tells us something's wrong. Is when Harry's scar hurts, right? Yeah. But so like, when it starts to hurt else. again, I know. And then completely make it about the kids, and then we see like the OG characters doing something else in it, but they're still important. I feel like they're not as important in this, and we don't get to see them. I know that there was something I was watching a while ago, where you get to pay homage to like the older generation but like you get to see like a new group of people and that's interesting and exciting and i don't know what it is um is like, it tru- full house no is it, the- <laughs> is it fuller no house? not full house not fuller house and even dumber girl meets world well yeah i mean i was just thinking like like and i don't think it's valid form of criticism to like say things that could have been as like the oh star wars <laughs> oh yeah star, star wars, wars. 
Star Wars does a great job of playing homage, paying homage to the. Yeah, I think Luke gets such an awesome arc. Um, Luke does. Han yeah. Solo does. Leia doesn't as much, but like to be fair, Carrie Fisher she did died. Pass away. In she the did die. Um, um, but yeah, no. I I mean, I think it would have been cool. Like I, again, it's not. Um, I don't think it's useful to like critique a piece of work by saying what if it had been like this but like just like some things that popped into my mind but like what if it was like all the kids are rebelling against the house system and all their parents don't really get it and but it's like really important to them or like um his I I keep coming back to creatures or like Albus becomes like this creature rights activist and Harry doesn't really get it but it's important to him and like like those are just two random things i thought of while like sitting on the floor of my fucking bedroom like and i'm like 12 and a half years old so like jk rolling and i'm just a kid Uh, i'm just a kid and life is a nightmare (laughs) i totally i understand the need to to have something more important come out of the story if it's so important to open this book up again it needs to it needs to be doing something different i think you know that's that's a good cap That is a good cap, and we'll leave it there. Let's get into (laughs) how a very Potter musical succeeds and fails. Does it fail in any sense? No. I think the power of fan fiction is strong with this one. You know what? Um, I think a very Potter musical actually very specifically harnesses the power of fail in, like, a specific way. One of my favorite things in low-budget theater is when it embraces the fact that it's low-budget theater. And, like knows what it is, knows what it's trying to be. And so every like th- everything that I think could have been fail a failure about this piece, they've harnessed to their advantage. Truly like literally my favorite one of my favorite things I've ever seen was a play at our school and all they needed was some some lighting design, four desks and four computer monitors. Can you guess what I'm talking about? I know what about? you're talking about. When this play goes on Broadway, you'll all know what Siege is. You've heard it first, kids. Siege <laughs> is going to win a Tony. Um truly that and that is like one of my favorite pieces of theater. And I think like because it does all the things that theater is supposed to do and and you don't even care that the set is like minuscule. Who gives a fuck? Like yeah, we're like- still seeing human emotion and lovely characters i mean i think i think like since we're going from the macro to the micro i think the thing that is most successful about a very potter musical is the fact that i feel like when you watch it you feel the like love and joy of the people who are in it to be doing it like I think my favorite thing when I see a play, we're, we're both, like, theater makers, so, like, we're kind of, like, pretentious about theater, but <laughs> I think, like, my favorite thing when I see a play is to see something and be like, God, like, I wish I was in that, like, I wish I was on stage right now doing that, and every single second of this musical is, like, I wish I was doing that right now, I wish that I was in there with those people, like, having as great of a time as they are. I think the greatest success of it is how much love it has for what it's doing. And and I think that this does count as, like, a great work of fan fiction. Um, but all it takes is the love for the thing and and the want to to add to it in your own way. Um, and I don't, I truly don't think it fails at any of that. Yeah, I mean, part of the reason we wanted to talk about a Harry Potter musical and fan work in this episode uh, was because a lot of time Cursed Child is compared to fan work as the like a lot of people are like 
Cursed Child is like fan fiction. It reads like fan fiction. But I've read fan fiction. Like I've we've read good fan fiction. Yeah, like I I think that I think actually in some ways Cursed Child is the opposite of fan work because it doesn't feel like it was written by anyone who likes the series. And <laughs> yeah. It was written by someone who neither loves the series nor is a fan. They're like the creator. So it is like the polar opposite of fan work. And it is like Cursed Child, like throughout you feel like the cash grabbiness of it. And throughout a Harry Potter musical, you feel the like lack of cash grabbiness. Well, because, like, the the thing in front of the the thing says this fan musical is produced and performed solely for the personal non-commercial enjoyment of ourselves and other Harry Potter fans. What more is there to say? I mean, like they the it's kind of actually wild to like watch it and know like how many views does it have? It has like a couple million. Oh yeah. Like possibly into the 10 millions. Oh, I'm sure um, of it. And it's it's really strange. Um, we we go to a theater school of like a similar like ilk to a uh, University of Michigan, and like nothing we make like of that quality ever like quite like hits that like level. I can't imagine even like the amazing things we make getting the success of a very Potter musical. It's like bizarre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And and nobody in it who made it. I mean, unless. Uh, no, nothing, nothing college gets that big. No, I can't, no, I'm trying I mean, to in think. In the Heights was written while Lin-Manuel Miranda was in college. Like, that's one thing I can think of. But did they um, perform it, like, while he was no, still in college? No, and that's, yeah. like, the version of it that got successful is the, like, filmed on, like, a flip phone <laughs> or something. Yeah, it's, like, it's truly, it's split up on YouTube into, like, five-minute sections you have to like watch it that way. It's not. It's so. It's like there is two two columns and a bench is the set, and it's, and the trunk and the and trunk, a Zephron poster and the Zephron poster and it's brilliant. It's just absolutely brilliant. And um, I yeah. Mean, the, what yeah. is there to say? It's perfect. That's it. That's it. it's. It is a success. It, I mean, uh, like, in terms of things that are successful about it, I think each of the actors does a really amazing job of building a beautiful life for their characters. I, yeah. I think that um, they're not... I think something that's interesting is because it's, it's a parody, so they're satirizing kind of like Harry Potter, but they're not... The, the actors aren't really making fun of the actors of the original Harry Potter. They kind of come up with their own thing, like... The thing that I think is one of the most talked about things of a Harry Potter musical is Lauren Lopez, who plays Draco Malfoy, yes. rolling around on the ground. Her physical life is just beautiful and hilarious and, like, goofy. Um, and, like, I think the guy who plays Dumbledore, like, does, like, isn't even, like, he's he's not even trying to be Dumbledore. No, and, I like, think the brilliance and comedic timing... And, like, the, the the point of satire is to take, like, one or two traits of a character and then just, like, blow it up. And I think they do that with everyone and somehow still keep the heart of the same, of the original work. Yeah. Which is amazing. I think, like, you have, like, <laughs> like Ron and Harry are such teenage boys and it works so well. Because, I mean, you do see them be teenage boys in the book, but this is just, like, what if it was, like now and they're just little 
douchebags. It's They're hilarious. They're so douchey. They're so douchey. I mean, there's the whole gag in the sequel where he's like, Hermione, when I was a muggle, I was something called a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's just perfect. I, I, I think there's some yeah. really smart reframing. Um, like, I think making it, like, referring to it as if it's a high school rather than Hogwarts is, like, a really funny gag that works so well. And I like that it's kind of a high school and a middle school and an elementary school. Like, there's a really great exchange where, um, Harry's, like, trying to trade his gushers for a less frightening (laughs) dragon to fight. (laughs) Um. Oh, man. I think the props department with the cardboard cutouts really went off. The Quirrell Voldemort relationship. Oh, must I love it! I love it so much. It is, it is so funny. It's so good, and also structurally, as a musical, the music is fantastic. Oh, it slaps! It slaps. Every Every song is a banger. Every song. There's not one song that I don't like. Like, they really achieved something in that the opening number, the, like, gotta get back to Hogwarts, do-do-do, that, like, is so nostalgic that when I heard it in a Harry Potter sequel, I definitely cried. Yeah. One of the things I really like about the Coral Voldemort relationship, like, not to, like, backpedal, but, um, <laughs> is, is the idea, like, they took this idea that was, like, okay, Coral and Voldemort were, like, living together in the same body for, like, a year, what was going on? And and yeah. so they're all So like a lot of a lot of like what they do with that those characters is that they're literally just exploring the mechanics of like what does it mean to share a body with someone for So like a lot of what ends up being the gag and I think what ends up evolving into like one of the like great relationships of the show is that um is the like things that like I watch you wipe your butt daily or like <laughs> should we sleep on our side or on um your stomach <laughs> like that like I the need kind you of, to like, fold those clothes yeah like they're roommates like the mechanics and of like having a roommate but like your roommate is living in the back of your head uh great fourth wall breaks yes um, and they get it's more like, and I have more. a father. Uh, I have a, I had a father who's dead. My I have a dead father. I, just, I, like, I won't de- stop. <laughs> or or when they're saying that nothing can keep me from loving you. Um, and and Lauren Lopez comes on stage and she was like, Yeah, I was just hanging out backstage watching you, and I thought about maybe joining in on that harmony, but then I decided not to. Mm-hmm. Ron was like, Oh, I was hanging out with Hagrid backstage, and we were just yeah. It's it's we were just talking. <laughs> perfect it's Um, self-referential it's funny it's fan it's fan fiction to the highest degree it's beautiful it's beautiful it's like the most delightful watching experience i feel like do we even need to have a bitch time i feel like well no we do have to have a bitch time there's things i have to talk about cursed child but i do have to pee first go pee. pee now then i'm gonna die maybe i should also pee Everyone, it is bitch time. It is our three minutes. We got to say everything we think and feel, and we don't have to be smart about it, and we don't have to have any reasons for it. Get the timer. Uh, The timer is going. Okay, we almost didn't do this this episode, but then I said we had to, and it's specifically for the reason that I do not understand the Cursed Child cover art. I don't get what it has to do with the story. It's a little kid in a basket slash nest thing. But the nest looks like like the snitch, too. 
Yeah, why does it why is it there? Who is the child? Why is it a nest? Why is this the promotional image? I don't understand it. Anyone who knows should tell me because I do not get it at all. I don't, um I've I don't. read it twice and I've seen it live. I don't I don't like it. I just don't I don't I don't like any I don't like there is not one moment in this thing that I enjoyed. And I only read it. I didn't see it. And all the things you said that you liked are things that you saw and now read. Yeah. And I don't like it. <laughs> I just don't like it. No. And you know what? It did sour me for a little bit on Harry Potter. Just like for, for a little bit. But, but I think that like that's so... It sucks that that happened. Because this, did, this thing did not need to exist. Yes. I agree. Uh, I just want to talk about how profoundly I wish I was in the writer's room for a very mm. modern musical. Yes. I just wish I was there. I would give anything to be physically present while they were doing that. I want to, like, write something that's as good as that and as, like, delightfully spontaneous as that. I I love seeing Darren Chris as a baby. I like seeing his baby handwriting. His little chubby cheeks. And now we've seen him. Now we see him in in Hollywood doing Hollywood things on a show called Hollywood. Um <laughs> I love yeah. him. I love he him. He's good. I'm I love proud Lauren of Lopez. Joey Richer for being a regular on Jesse. <gasps> yes. Lauren Lopez made me gay. Yee. Um I love Lauren Lopez. That's on period. And that's on period. Um we have I to talk don't. about how homophobia must exist in the wizard universe because there are no gay people in the whole fucking thing. The only cursed thing about Cursed Child is the entire thing. <laughs> the only is that it? No, we still have like we have twenty seconds. Holy shit! I don't know. I don't. I the, the real I don't the reason I called Punju. Punju is so stupid. Oh, I hate it so much. I never asked for this. Why um, did this happen? Oh, something I wonder about when Goyle is talking in a Harry Potter musical, like, is his voice okay? Is he doing that safely? Oh, I'm sure he's doing <gasps> it Wait, safely. They're no. going to theater school. No, wait, I had a whole thing. No, Can say I it. Say, say it. Just, just say it. It's, fine, it's, it's like fine. a dumb thing. Um, So, like, I'm required to stage manage for my classes. Um, mm-hmm. My, like, inner stage manager is uh, whenever Coral and Voldemort are walking in that thing where they're, like, back to back, I get really stressed out. I'm like, who's their SM? Like, who, who authorized this? Who approved this? I, like, because it looks like, 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 I feel like in one wrong move could ro- result in someone getting strangled. I feel like he's on, like, a backpack. Like, I feel like he's strapped in somehow that is safe. No, I feel like strapping it in would be worse. Oh, no. Never because mind. Because also, like, if one of them falls, like, then the other person falls on top of them. Like, that's, like, an injury. I just, I don't know. I should have, if I had remembered that during bitch time, I would have talked about it. Because it really stressed me out. Anyway, <laughs> that's that's my thoughts. I, and that was I, our it, bitch time. That was that was the bitch time. Yeah. Thank goodness we have that time. We needed that. I definitely needed it for the cursed child cover thing. I like have been thinking about that. Can it, like listeners? We do we have listeners? Is anyone listening to listeners? Us? Are we listeners. just record? <laughs> <laughs> listeners, please tell us if you understand what's going on. With oh, I forgot to say that Ron has like no character. Ron does nothing in Cursed yeah. Child, and it sucks. The um, Weasleys get done dirty in Cursed do. Child. They get done so dirty. Um, okay, should we move on to bitch? Why? 
Okay, so this is bitch why, uh, where we talk about the impact of the thing. Who saw it? Why did they see it? How did it affect us or them? And how will it affect us in the greater scheme of things moving forward? I feel like everyone on the universe is seen, in the universe has seen Cursed Child. I think Cursed Child's one of the only mainstream plays, straight plays, I've ever heard of. It's really critically successful, yeah. which is bizarre to me. Yeah, and financially just, like, through the roof. Um, I do think, though, there is a... I wouldn't even say it's smaller. I would say it's probably the the Venn diagram of people who love Harry Potter and probably love Harry Potter musical and then also, like, know about Cursed Child as a circle. So, never mind. But I feel like, in our brains, like, if I think about Harry Potter on stage, I'll probably think about Harry Potter musical first. Yeah. Or, um, like, be excited about it way more. Yeah. I mean, like... Hmm, I was just thinking about, like, would it be fun to adapt a Harry Potter book to the stage? There's so... I'm not saying there's, like, limitations with stage, but there's... No, no, I know. Yeah, there's, like, a different requirement of things that need to be done. And I think that... Like, I was reading a book today... I was reading today? Because I'm literate, surprisingly. I love um, being literate. Love being literate. Uh, I was reading a book today, and I... It's, like, it's very... It's huge. It's called um, Attachments by Rainbow Rowell, and... Hmm. It's, Rainbow Rowell's got another book? Oh, yeah, this it. is uh, from a long time ago. Um, I, I've only read the... Eleanor the less, Park? No, the next no. one. The, the one with the, the gay Harry Potter fan fiction. Oh. <laughs> but not Speaking the most recent fiction. gay Harry Potter fan fiction. The well, I was first reading it. gay Harry Potter fan fiction. The, the first one, not the second one. Um, I was reading it and I was like, this book is so long and it could never be a movie or a Netflix series or anything. And I'm happy about that. And I just think that like, you can't. I just don't, I don't know. I feel like adaptation is so hard. And I think that, like, we've already, we've already done this. Like, why retread? I think the only way you're going to say something new or say something worth seeing with it is to make something new. Yeah, I, it's interesting. Like, Cursed Child was made for the play format. And as you we were talking about that, I was kind of thinking about, like, why is this a play and not something else? It's it's interesting because I feel like a lot of the things uh, we have talked about and that I want to talk about are are things that are ill-suited to their medium. And I think Cursed Child is just ill-suited to being a piece of literature. It's just it's like... Ill-suited to its to existence. It's just not very... <laughs> good as like a story i'm i i'm often very frustrated with how well it has done because i yeah. hate it when something that i i have this is like pretentious but like i hate it when something that i have like moral issues with its success goes on and has huge financial success like like the lion king has financial success the lion king the live action remake well um, i think that like it's just a reaction to like the and you and I believe this really wholeheartedly, but the things that are successful are the things that impact people the most. And you don't want those those ethical and moral uh, caveats in them to to permeate people's minds. 
I also kind of think, like, if Cursed Child had flopped, like, would J.K. Rowling have kept going and making things? And, like, if she hadn't, would she, like, have released that horrible essay that we talked about in the last episode? Like, mm. like I feel like Cursed Child really opened a doorway to J.K. Rowling, like, kind of reappropriating the series in a way that has been really painful. Reappropriating and then adding on things that are just horribly unnecessary that no one asked for and it's funny because we actually I remember this when when Cursed Child was like even announced before it had even become a thing people were like why is there not like if you're gonna make something the fans have been asking for um a Marauder series like we've been asking for things that would be a really cool like JK Rowling's not allowed to write a Marauder series no like I won't allow it because she will not admit who is gay? Sirius Black and Remus Lupin are gay, and we know they are. We know they're gay. I know they're gay. I can't believe we like admitted to reading fan fiction and shipping Wolfstar oh. in the same podcast. Okay, you know what? And it's the second episode. Fan fiction is fucking great. I love fan fiction. I grew <laughs> up on fan fiction. And okay, this is this is bad. I also read a lot of Twilight fan fiction, and I think that. Twilight is already kind of fan fiction in that it's very self-insert-y, but the only reason that I ever felt like any of those characters had depth was because of the fan fiction I read about them. Yep. And then also in Harry Potter, like, you get to see, like, the fan fiction people write about them just, like, fleshes them out even more. Um, I have I mean, there are so also much. some, like, genuinely impressive fan projects. Like, um... Here's a little name drop for people who are, like, in the Harry Potter fandom. Um, but, like, the Shoebox Project is a really famous Harry Potter fan fiction that is just, like, an incredible piece of work that is made up of art and, like, um, handwritten pieces and, like, typed pieces. Like, it's really impressive. Also, like, fan work has had impacts, like, beyond just being impressive, like, My Immortal is mm-hmm. one of the most famous pieces of writing ever. Um, and it's not ever. But like in I live in an internet world. bubble. <laughs> <laughs> On the internet, one of the most famous pieces of writing is My Immortal. And like, I don't know. Th- th- this was just a little rant on how fan work is valid. Um, I feel like we're seeing the, like there's such thoughtful world building in, in fan fiction that I that I love and it gives I was reading about fan fiction a lot uh the last few days there are writers who are famous writers that still write fan fiction because it's a way for them to like stretch their muscles and like get feedback like the world of fan fiction like there's so much positive feedback and love and you already have a built-in community which I think is so important and I think for us like being queer like you just see yourself in certain characters and sometimes you want, like, you see their traits and how they reflect yours, and you wish that they were more like you. And it's, like, so, it's a, such a big hub for queer and POC kids to just, like, explore what they're capable of doing and also, like, what they're capable of, of like, breathing life into, which is so Honestly, sweet. And, like, I, I think it's funny that, like, fan fiction is so looked down upon. Most forms of writing are so revered. It's because it's seen as inherently feminine. And people want to shit on things that are inherently feminine and make teenage girls feel bad about themselves. Tea. 
Um, but have you seen these TikToks? Oh, well, I so I sent you a TikTok today um, of this oh, yes. person who said that they are going to rewrite all of Harry Potter and then they were just doing it for themselves because they were like, hey, if you if you want it, just like DM me and I'll post it on some fan fiction site. They were just doing it for themselves and they were going to make Harry Potter Arab. They were going to make Hermione black. They were going to make some characters uh, bisexual and trans and gay and it just was so cool that they were just doing that for themselves and then also also tiktok is great um on tiktok people have been like curating outfits and doing like outfits i would wear if i was a hogwarts professor or a gryffindor student and then they have like their everyday wear and they're like yule ball outfit and and people do this for everything for like friends and stranger things and like the movie heathers like it's fun to watch people i feel like that is a form of fan fiction also or just like fan fan work of just like I also think putting like, yourself in the world anything that gets your like creative muscles moving is like such an exciting thing like I think like some people like look at fan fiction to like I think fan fiction is to writing as like Zumba is to ballet um <laughs> which is to say like like, they're both really, like, cool pieces of art that, like, get you moving and, like, maybe ballet requires more commitment and, like, um, more, like, technical know-how and, like, more training. But, like, Zumba, you're still dancing, you're still getting, you're still moving, you're still, like, getting engaged and getting excited and, like, making yourself stronger. And so, I don't know, I just think we should give fan work a little respect. That's so cool that you said that because I was reading this article and it said that fan fiction is a side of the literary world where everyone and everything and every story is welcome and I feel like Zumba is definitely like a dance uh workout format that is much easier to there's like a easier there's no barrier to entry whereas like ballet has a barrier to entry so you've like you've uh acknowledge that that like you have to kind of work at something to get there and I think that like fan fiction for some people actually for a lot of people is is a stepping stone and like writing is good for your brain so just do it I love to write writing is like my favorite thing to do and I write almost constantly um and so anything that gets people writing is just like exciting to me like I'm excited to hear that people are writing and then also I'm excited to read things that people have written for no reason. I love it when people do things for no reason. Yeah. It's so cool. Why well, do they do it's that? Like, it's like also the constant asking of what if. Like what if, what if this happened? Like this would be possible and I think that having having the like ability to keep asking what if helps us ask that of our authority figures and our teachers and It's our, also like, active yeah. reading. It is also active reading. Like, it's very easy to, like, like ex- consume something and then just not, like, experience it. Just, like, kind of, like, to let it, like, slip through your brain. But, like, if you have to write something about it, then you have to... I mean, like, just, like, even just starting to work on this podcast, um, like, <laughs> the act of, like, watching something and taking notes and, like, really, like, engaging with it is, like, good. I just think it's neat. I just think it's neat. Also, what I was going to say is I think J.K. Rowling should let me write the Marauders TV series, but she would not because she would not work with a trans person. She would not work with a trans person. She would not work with any person that could give her insight to any of the communities she's been trying to represent, which maybe that could segue into 
Pottermore? Question oh, mark? yes. Okay. I have some beef with Pottermore, but I think it, it coincides with the point you made about, like, if Cursed Child was not successful, she might not have even, J.K. Rowling might not have even felt the need to keep expanding her universe. Um, so, unfortunately, we gave her that, that financial clout to keep going, and it's our fault um, for owning a copy of the play. Um, <laughs> but I Pot- downloaded yeah. my copy of the play illegally oh. from the internet, like a normal person. No, I. It's not good though because <laughs> then I couldn't take notes. Uh, I had to buy it because all of my friends were buying it, and we were like excited to read it. And I remember if being every, so if all your disappointed. Friends jumped off a cliff with you. Yeah, because I would have no friends, Kaya. <laughs> um i feel like jk rowling has gotten herself into so much trouble with pottermore that it's like not even worth continuing pottermore i think like it started really simple like it started simple with like dumbledore is gay and hermione could be black and like that was cool and we're like okay cool thanks she said like jk she said like dumbledore and and Grindelwald had an intensely sexual relationship. And then with Fantastic Beasts, she was like, so someone asked her, they're like, how long were you holding on to that Nagini secret? Because Nagini, spoiler alert. Oh, God, I hate that tweet. Nagini, spoiler spoiler alert, is apparently an Asian woman. Yeah, she said only for around 20 years. And then she, the next day, tweeted, the Naga are snake-like mythical creatures of Indonesian mythology, hence the name Nagini. They are sometimes depicted as winged, sometimes half-human, half-snake. Indonesia comprises of a few hundred ethnic groups, including Havanese, Chinese, and Batawi. Have a lovely day. Like, wh- how shitty- Snake emoji. Oh, and then Misuse of the snake emoji. Misuse of the snake, snake emoji. Snake emoji is a valid emoji, and JK Rowling's not valid, and so she's, she's not, not allowed, allowed to, to use, use the it. snake emoji. And then there's the, like, hey- jk rowling my wife said that there are no jews at hogwarts i'm a jew so i assume she said it to only be the magical one in the family thoughts and then jk rowling said anthony goldstein ravenclaw jewish wizard i've never heard of him anthony where did he come from like he why was does not... she feel the need why does she feel like she had to do that and then i feel like this is the worst this is the worst one of them all because when when pottermore happened you could sort yourself into whatever house from Hogwarts, and then she created an American wizarding school. She also says that there's wizarding schools all over the world, and which prompts me to ask, well, why did we only hear about three of them uh, throughout the entire series? It's because you only created three of them, and then you, yes, they're white, they're white people schools, um, with only a few people of color peppered in for some flavor. Well, it the the Bobat is it Bobat Bobatin 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 the French one. There's not a, that is a, the shot. That's shots, a white. School. That is white. I I don't know if there's a single person of color in any one of those shots. No, because it would mess with their aesthetic. Yeah, which is, like, very pale. Um, and then Durmstrang is, like, Eastern European, and so everyone has, like, dark eyebrows and hair and eyes, so possibly they're all not white. But they are pale. Yes. I think, like, one of the questions I'm asking is, like, I just don't understand how, like, like, J.K. Rowling is so British, and we talked about this last <gasps> episode a lot, yes. um, and she doesn't really understand how, like, 
like she's like there could be one wizard school in the entirety of america and i'm like bitch america's huge america 300 million people here there's so many people our country is thick it's fat it's thick it takes like four days to drive across it if you're obeying the speed limits and gaia knows this and i know this because i drive cross country on the regular on the reg um harry potter comes from a familiarity with british life and and school boarding school culture and that's why it's good because she understands that world but like so so then with the with the ilvermorny which is the american wizarding school she decided that the origins of the school are not from native american wizards who easily could have existed at this time um because uh brown people can also be magical i don't understand um rolling begins the story of ilvermorny by narrating the life of of a pure blood wizarding immigrant named isolt sayer i don't care how i can say that name i don't care i don't care she's irish um and she sailed to america on the mayflower in 1620 and then she befriends a pugwudgie which is a creature that is um in wampanoag folklore it's a goblin-like creature, which also has, like, little porcupine quills, which is cool. Like, that's dope. But, like, why, why, wh- like, who's to say that the school was not already established? Like, why did a white immigrant come over and, like, make it happen? Like, I think that's upsetting. And, like, a lot of people were really mad because their their actual real culture was, was, use- was used for for a fake story. And if you're not even going to use it right, like, if, if you misunderstand American culture and geography and history, you're undermining the integrity of your story and also, like, these cultures that exist. And then there was this issue of skinwalkers, which in, and saying Native American is a huge umbrella term. There are so many different tribes within that that all have vastly different, very rich cultures. So even even just saying, oh, it's Native American culture is really hard to to parse out but there's like a term for for like magical people who were not so good called skinwalkers in certain native american cultures and then people asked her like hey jk rowling like do they exist um in the world and she's like no because it's a derogatory term to wizards and i was like you're being derogatory to like native american and indigenous people um and then all of the house names in ilvermorny are named after uh animals and creatures that are important in wampanoag folklore there's a horned serpent the wampus the pugwudgie and the thunderbird and so i don't i just truly like do not understand why she felt the need to like insert a white person into the creation of this american school i know that it's stupid to like be so upset about it but this is like the problem with a white woman retroactively adding diversity into her stories when she has the money and the ability to like ask people for help or just like even like like even if she doesn't want to do that like i don't know it's kind of uncreative to imagine that like there would be another there would be an american school and it's just one school it's also got a weird ass name it's also got four houses and each of the houses are represented by some personality trait and you get sorted into it as a kid and you did the seven year schooling like there's like like i don't know like the world is different and like i i remember since we were talking about fan work in like probably 2013 or something um 
on Tumblr, there was, like, this great move towards, like, people being, like, oh, wizard schools around the world, what would they look like? And just, like, that, like, fan collection of, like, ideas for what those would mm-hmm. look like were so much better than what she came up with. Like, there was, there was so, like, there was, um, a, an idea of be like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if there was, like, a wizard school in Louisiana and it was, like, all, like, voodoo magic? <gasps> or, like, Ugh. just, like, the idea that, like, magic could be culturally different and exciting and interesting and, like, to know that the way things work in different places isn't the same. So, like, why would you try and put... Why would you imagine that all, like, schools are, like, a European model of... Just it's valid be because she put this into the conversation so now we're asking all of these questions about it so so in the in the lore apparently this woman starts the school and then and then native american tribes join later but like who's to say that they weren't teaching their kids how to use their powers you like with their own native traditions Doesn't and, that just and kind people. of harken to like like our american history of like how we've brought native american children to white schools exactly and taught them like our own like anglicized version of well she's not even yeah and she's she's uncritically replicating british colonialist power structure through this and that's what's like upsetting to me i think and and i mean even like when you were talking about like a wizarding school in louisiana like um, a wizarding school in Southern California would probably be influenced by traditions from Mexico because we yeah. have our architecture is different here. Like everything is so different. Who's to say the wizarding world here would not be different? Like or even like like Native American tribes like near where I am in like Colorado, New Mexico, like not even close to this for like people not really fully comprehending how big your country is and how like the idea of like like someone from like where's Ilvermorny supposed to be somewhere in like the northeast i imagined it's yeah, like salem like, i say, bet like in oh it is in salem <laughs> it's actually yeah. in salem so like imagine someone from like southern california going to salem in the 1850s. I, I know we said this in the last episode, but, like, since Hogwarts is in the far-off lands in Scotland, like, it's from, it's, like, there's no, there's no culture there that you need to, like, acc- like acclimate to. Like, it's just Hogwarts. This would be so intensely different. Like, you would need to have, like, ten wizarding schools in Asia. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. there's one Japanese wizarding school. Are you joking me? Uh, we were talking about how in India, like, there's a billion people in India. There's a billion people in India. Are you going to send all of their kids to, to one school? J.K. Rowling, I think, has a fundamental, probably subconscious belief that um, brown people aren't as magical as white people. Which is, like, kind of the reverse of, like, what people think of brown people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there yeah, is, like, a weird ironic. stereotype of, like, brown people being, like mystical and well jk rowling created colonizer magic so <gasps> colonizer i wonder is there an indian wizarding school look it up i'm gonna look well, up on the harry we potter we should probably wiki. talk a little bit about the impact of a very potter musical like we real should quick. oh um, okay so i'm on the india wiki for harry potter it's just telling me what india is i know that it's a country in south asia um yeah proud of 
proud of them. Magical games and sports. There are hardly any broomsticks in India as the flying flying carpet is the preferred mode of travel. Ah! Okay. I'm going to... I'm going to process this before I say anything. Aladdin also has flying carpets. And that's J.K. Rowling has seen Aladdin and never met an Indian person. <laughs> oh my so god. So she's basing her whole approximation of what it means to be Indian based off of Aladdin. All brown people are not the same, Joanne. <gasps> there and it is. That was my Joanne. Hello. God. Oh, oh, but it does say, despite this... Quidditch has some fans on the street. What? Quidditch has some on the street, and India has its own national Quidditch team. Oh, boy. What, do we just use carpets instead? Ooh, that'd be fun. I want to, like, roll myself up in a flying carpet. Oh, my God. So I'm a burrito. I've never heard of a flying carpet in, like, an Indian story. And also, like, that's racist. I just feel like that's racist. JK Rowling. <sighs> let's better. talk. Let's t- please. T- she won't. Let's talk about and Harry Potter musical. Let's talk Harry about Potter it. musical. Okay. Like impact wise, culturally. I mean, it was a cultural reset, obviously. Yes, a cultural reset. But I think for me, I think it changed the way I view appreciation. I think mm. a lot of people imagine a good adaptation is a faithful adaptation. And I think a Harry Potter musical is a great example of a good adaptation isn't always a faithful adaptation. Well, the best way to love something is to be able to, like, admit its faults. Um, but then also, like, like impact-wise, like, Star Kid is now, like, a very successful theater company. Oh, totally. Um, and they're literally named Star Kid after a line in the musical. Did, which came first, the line in the musical or the... Um, I don't know. I feel mm. like... Well, because it started out in University of Michigan. Yeah. Right. So I don't. I have no clue. But yeah. like they seem interconnected. Um. But yeah, yeah they're so they're so popular. They are. They've been able to make a ton more musicals since. We'll definitely review them. Something yeah. of theirs at some. We point. will. Maybe we'll be meaner to it. Maybe. I have so much nostalgia for a very Potter musical. Saying anything bad about it is hard. It's true. I mean, but like, I don't. I don't have anything else to say. And the fact that we're still sitting here, like, and we watched it today. And we're still jamming out and know all the songs. Like, that's the impact right there. And, like, yeah. most Harry Potter fans that I know or grew up with, like, know about Harry Potter musical. And it feels just as real as sitting down with one of the books. Yeah. I think you get the same feeling. Yeah. I mean, not to say we're not critical. I mean, we were talking, we'll probably get into it when we get to the bitch meter. Um of like the sequel there's some problematic shit in the sequel although mm-hmm. i love the sequel um i don't know it it was just a cultural reset it was the stage adaptation we deserved um it, it's an amazing example of a well-respected fan work and um, now we have darren chris and so. now we have darren chris and i think that's a good cap <laughs> that, and that's let's get to the bitch meters shall we let's get to the bitch meter The bitch meter is our meter for how representative, how diverse a piece of media is. We did two different bitch meters because Curse Child and Very Potter Musical are so vastly different. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we, we rank them in six categories. Queer, representation, gender, race, disability, body positivity, and class. 
Um, if you can think of another category, just hit us up and we'll add it. And we do math in order to give them a score out of 10. So we rank each category on, in like fives and then we give them a score out of 10. We, we learned how to do math in order to do this. We did the math Specific- so you don't have to. Exactly. Specifically, we don't have any reason to know how to do math except for this. So Yeah, we go to theater school. Grateful. Yes. Um so the bitch meter for the cursed child um th- for here we'll we'll give the score last so there's anticipation. Yes. Um so for queer uh we we decided queerness was not applicable because they didn't directly engage with queerness at all. So um yeah. However, we gave it a minus one for bait. Uh, my roommate's girlfriend said that <laughs> it was the queer bait of a century, the century, and uh, frankly, I agree. For gender representation, we're giving it a 2.5. And this is because they're working with the characters that are already existent. Ginny kind of doesn't get to do much. It's, I mean, the halfway point is the only thing we could kind of think of for this. Yeah, like, uh, there are more men than women who have significant roles. Um, I don't know. Does it pass the Bechdel test? I don't think it passes the Bechdel test. Probably does not. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's not that great. Uh, for race, we give it a two. And I think all of those points, all of the pause, the reason it's not a zero is because of what we talked about earlier about Hermione, um, being black and JK Rowling, um, and that baby being a good thing in the representation trident however she is the only non-white character in the show besides her daughter rose yeah so it, it only makes sense yeah i feel like two is just correct um for disability we did not assess it even though amos is in a wheelchair it's not really dealt with or talked about so we didn't really give it anything. they're just trying to like signal that he's old yeah um <laughs> Body positivity, we also did not applicable, but we're going to do an automatic minus one um, on body positivity if the entire cast is slim. Yeah. And then for class, not assessed. Just didn't assess it. So, would you like to say the total? Drum Um, we gave it a three out of (laughs) ten. Which is the score I would give it anyway. This is like diversity. It's not necessarily quality, although it probably is also quality. I feel Are like they the same? if you care about your piece of work to incorporate all of these things, normally it ends up being pretty good. Yeah. Please. Which is which is exemplified by the next bitch meter for Harry Potter musical. What did we give it for queer guy? Oh my god, we gave it a five out of five, five for queer out of representation. Five. So okay, maybe this was a little too generous, but here's the thing: they Dumbledore's gay in it. He says he's gay. He says he's in love with Snape. Um, he's canonically gay. Also, one of the central relationships is the implied to be romantic relationship between Quirrell and Voldemort. It's queer. It's a queer love story. They are. They are a gay couple. Okay, the beautiful last shot. Well, okay, there's two. I'm going to talk about two moments. Uh, the first one is the one where Voldemort and Bellatrix are about to have sex, and he's like, hey, wait, I want to try something different and possibly kinky. Um, <laughs> and instead of doing anything sexy, he just has her sit on the decks, and they sit back to back, and he's like, this is great. Because he he is used to being back to back to quarrel. It's, it's perfect. 
And then the other great moment is at the end when the when Voldemort's spirit is visiting visiting Quirrell in prison, and they go in for like a slow mo hug, but instead of hugging, they like turn around, go back to back. (laughs) So good. Maybe back to back can be our always. Oh my god! Please. (laughs) Um, for that's why we gave it a five out of five. Yeah, it's like honestly, it's perfect. It's, it's so perfect. it's so lovely and campy and fun and ah uh, yeah I also think the spirit is queer I don't even know if any of the writers are queer but it feels queer so we yeah. gave it a five out of five uh for gender we gave it a three point five even though it's dealing with the same characters as Cursed Child and basically there's still like definitely more guys in it than girls we felt that Ginny and Hermione and the other female characters get specific representation and like an emotional life that they don't get in cursed child um and sometimes like even in the books like i just love that they're allowed to to have certain moments with the audience that we don't really get to see um in things like cursed child so 3.5 out of 5 there's also like a couple moments like the way that gender is critiqued in fairy potter musical which Mm. admittedly isn't a lot uh is I think it's very, like, both ways. Like, I think a yeah. lot of times, like, like vapid girls are paired with, like, normal guys or, like, n- or normal girls are compared with, like, crazy hyper-masculine guys. Um, but, like, the, 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 like, gender experience is very, like, similar, I guess. Like, in the sense that, like, Harry and Ron are, like, douchebag frat guys and, like, sometimes Ginny is, like, a little bit vapid or, like, Cho Chang is a little... <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's, like, the the knowing that they're doing that is what makes it subversive. Yeah. And that's why it's... we love it. Race, we gave it a four. We talked so long about this. Mm-hmm. We had a long chat, and it was long. Um, But... <laughs> Uh, th- there's, there's a couple of things that I think are worth mentioning. First, that, like, because it's a col- college theater, it's a school theater, um, I'm generally a lot more lenient than I would be, um, to a professional production because they have a lot smaller sample size to draw from. So it's Michigan in 2009, um, in a musical theater program. I don't know how many people of color were in that program. Um, I tend to be more lenient. Other thing is we think the Cho Chang moment is genius. The way Cho Chang is introduced in a very Potter musical is she she gets this kind of like oh god how do you describe the aesthetic of the sound what's the least offensive word um that like very it's like a white Asian... person's idea yeah. of like what Asian music sounds like mm-hmm. and she sings a whole song they they say domo arigato which, <laughs> yeah, is, which is Japanese. Japanese. Um, and they're in, like, a trio and do a little dance, and, uh, the girl at the front is, um, Asian. Yeah, and she's East, East Asian. Asian. Um, and Ginny goes up to her and is like, oh, hello, uh, hello. And she bows. And- she bows, and she says, it is good to meet you. My name is Jeannie Weasley. Um, and then the chick immediately turns around and says, bitch, I ain't Cho Chang. And then... Devin from uh, Ladylike on BuzzFeed comes out and with a southern accent, and she's like, I'm Cho Chang, y'all. And it's great. Um, it's it's such a smart way to deal with the fact that J.K. Rowling's racist. Yeah. I, lo- I just love how subversive it is. I love that, like, they're like, well, since that name's not even fucking real, she could be from anywhere. 
And that joke lands so well. And then we gave it points. Darren, Chris, and Lauren Lopez are two of maybe the leads. Darren, Chris is the lead. Darren, Chris is um, the lead. He is half Filipino and half Italian. Um, And Lauren Lopez is half Mexican and I think also half white something. Um, but yeah, Some they're flavor. both they're both people of color. Um, and they're amazing in their roles. So I think that like it does what it can with the cast that they have. And I think that the way that they deal with race in the cast and then in the plot is genius. Yes. It's delightful. Uh, we didn't assess disability because couldn't think of it being addressed. Although if you think it was, then love to hear about it. We didn't assess body positivity. Cause, I don't know. We didn't give it a minus one though because there's not slim people in that show and they're doing great. They're doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't assess it on class. And overall. Do it. <laughs> it gets an 8.3 out of 10 absurd i have a feeling that might be the highest we'll ever get um i know it's because it's the perfect piece of media it is perfect and i think that because it's done by people who love it by people who love the original series and they're able to comment on it in such a smart way and make jokes and make it such a fun ride of course it it like knocks all of these things out of the park I mean, definitely the the bitch meter, the ha- probably the highest Harry Potter bitch meter. Oh yeah, even though for we're sure. reading the books soon. Yes. Um. Yeah. Well, we have we have to we have to close it up. But um, our next our next episode actually is gonna be Jojo Rabbit, I believe. Oh yeah. Um, t- we're taking a little like break. Harry, from Harry Potter from Harry break. Potter. I need a minute so that we can read the books. Yeah. All of them. Basically, um, we'll just get to like talk about how much we love the books now that we've done all of the critical work there will be some critic i'm oh yeah I'm no we'll still be critical, be critical but like i feel like this was the hump like this was so much it, it was really hard i think like for me emotionally to read mm-hmm. jk rowling's essay that was like like i think it's been going from like hardest to easiest yeah. in terms of like emotionally like it's kind of it's hard to like engage with like something like harry potter that i've grown up with so much like disappointing me and like hurting me in the way that jk rowling has by like spreading her rhetoric Mm -hmm. the way she does and so it's weird to it's like a weird kind of hurt it's like um it's like i don't know your childhood best friend posting a make america great again sign oh i've seen a lot of that lately Mm. um (sighs) anyway so i'm excited to talk about um the books that are the original things i love i haven't read them in so long too and so i'm excited to read them yeah i think it'll be nice it'll be a nice break yeah and then but next week we're talking about jojo rabbit which i'm so i mean nita and i the whole reason we're doing this is because we want to talk about jojo we had an iconic conversation i think it lasted like three hours so thick about jojo rabbit so we will do our best to recreate it and add some new points but i'm super excited about it and with that we're gonna talk about what we're working on and close out the show guy what are you working on this week 
Oh my goodness. I'm working on installing hardwood floors into my house. <laughs> um, the show I'm stage managing opens on Monday. Uh, opens is a strong word. It's just like a closed reading on Monday on Zoom. Really excited about that. Uh, really fabulous, fabulous work by um, by an excellent non-binary playwright through Pride Plays. And I am, as always, chipping away at the script that I've been trying to write for so long. I think I had, emo- had an emotional breakthrough, but I need to apply that so that it means something. So yes, that's what I'm working on. Nita, what are you working on? That's this week? such a mood. Um, yeah, I'm still working on my screenplay. I feel like I have been getting like writers paralysis. Like I'm so scared to just like put it on paper because it's it's such a story that's so like dear to my heart and I want it to be perfect, but I need to just put it on the fucking paper. Um, and then I'm oh applying. God, that's such a mood, right? Because you're like, oh, like this is my baby, and I want it to be perfect, but it has to suck before it can be good. Um, and it sucks. That sucks. That that it has to suck. Um, and then I'm applying to a writers fellowship since we're all like definitely probably not going back to NYU this fall. I thought I'd do something else, and it would be uh writing articles and like figuring out what that looks like and how that's different from all of the other writing that we do. All right, you can, so this is where we plug all of our shit. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Nita underscore Thadani, T-H-A-D-A-N-I. And you can follow me on Instagram at Gaia Rose River. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Podcast and email us at b.tchy at gmail.com. Please leave a review and rate us on iTunes when we figure out how to get this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify. All of the resources referenced will be in the show notes. Thank you to our editor and co-producer Cameron and our graphic designer Jillian. Such incredible, incredible people. Good night. Good night. Bye, bitches. It's night time now. Bye, bitches.